Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. The bigger the legend, the more disappointing the reality. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 303, 17 seconds, comes to you now via casual Klingon gear. Pete, in fleet news, in extra galaxy fleet news, we'll start with the positive news. Our podcast for The Mandalorian's season premiere is up, continuing the Star Wars Saturdays tradition. And uh, though it was a shorter episode, nonetheless, a delightful uh, jaunt back into the galaxy long, long ago. It was, and super excited to have launched Star Wars Saturdays a long time, alongside our Star Trek Sundays here for the next nine weeks. And as I'm sure many listeners know, sad news this past Thursday when it was announced that Star Trek Discovery's uh, largely completed filming of the fifth season would be its uh, final season. Uh, and to make matters worse, the release of it has now been pushed back to 2024, something that I know we will discuss further in the future. But uh, what a thing to announce on a Picard release Thursday that also the, uh, the foundation of modern Star Trek on television since 2017 is, uh, is going away. It's sad. It's not completely unexpected. You have to question their timing uh, in our post-Picard glee to drop that on us. Um, I had said before there was a possibility this fifth season could be it. And now, Matt, sort of unceremoniously, that has happened. We will podcast that tomorrow on our Discovery feed. And that also locks in that uh, Strange New Worlds will be the next show to hit Paramount Plus, certainly at least the, the next live action uh, with uh, Prodigy Season 2 not far behind it. Um, and I guess, Pete, by that logic, that, that also limits the amount of Star Trek between now and the end of the calendar year. But uh, as I said, certainly at some point in the post-Picard uh, time frame, Strange New Worlds being next. This is the movement all throughout the streaming realm, uh, slowing things down. Marvel has uh, backed off plans to have more than just Secret Invasion and Loki uh, season two this year. Uh, it's going to save shows like Echo and um, the Riri Williams Ironheart show for 2024, spread things out a little bit more. Paramount Plus, the moment they announced that uh, they need to move to profitability, the writing was on the wall. Certainly more on that tomorrow, Pete. For now, though, let's head into our Picard mission briefing. Red alert klaxons blare on the bridge of the Titan as the Shrike stalks it through the Riton nebula, twisting and turning deeper. In sickbay, Jack Crusher Jr. is the target of blame by injured Starfleet personnel that Beverly counsels him not to push back on because the crew will need them. With widespread reports of damage, Captain Shaw wants to warp 
but Riker explains they can't inside the nebula. Lieutenant Murrah reports they're losing visual on the stern, and Shaw sends crew members to look out the back windows. LaForge says engineering has damage to the warp coils, and they will be unable to outrun on impulse. Riker adds the deeper they go, the worse it'll be for sensors, because apparently Shaw has never, ever been in a nebula in his Star Treks. Pete, maybe it wasn't Shaw who needed the reminder. Maybe Riker knew that there were millions of people out there in the ether watching and they needed the reminder. Uh, nonetheless, deeper into the uh, nebula asterisk, not a, le- not a nebula, born that later, uh, they go. We cut to Vatic, who is told uh, that sensor contact uh, has been lost. Uh, and everybody now is just losing sensors, using visuals uh, only. And uh, Riker, now confident that they, have, they the Titan, have lost uh, the strike. And Picard notes that it's only for now. The title card for part three, 17 seconds, gives way to upbeat music before in Los Angeles as 10 forward hosts a younger Picard and Riker toasting to the birth of Thaddeus. Riker recaps his son's difficult delivery when he was hailed urgently to sickbay the ensuing 17 seconds, the longest turbo lift ride of his life as he thought he might lose his unborn son. Picard notes in that moment he became a father and how happy he is for him. Riker hopes one day Picard could experience it. And a pad chirps with Deanna Troy, who hasn't brushed her hair in 72 hours, after their son just projectile vomited four feet in the air all over engineering. They should study him for science. Uh, this scene uh, benefited by, I'm not quite sure whether they've de-aged uh, Picard, de-aged uh, Patrick Stewart here with makeup or some CG. Regardless, it's a light touch and it's, uh, you know, I think it's effective at uh, showing that uh, we're earlier in time. Ditto for Riker. I think maybe he's looking a little, you know, just for men, shall we say. Um, I can't tell. And I think that's the best type of effect. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is, they're not overdoing it. They're not saying we want to bring him, bring them both back to 1987 uh, status and so forth. I think, too, ditto with Troy here, you know, pop a wig on her. And, um, I mean, I'm not saying that she's in in any way. The baby definitely was not aged. (laughs) That is true. That is true. The the, the doll playing the baby was uh, appropriately aged, you know, but yeah, with Troy, put a wig on her, the camera's slightly farther back, plus it's a hollow, and we're back to, you know, we're back to, well, when Thaddeus was born, obviously a moment here that we as viewers are are sensing with some trepidation, seeing as how uh, we know from season two, Thaddeus uh, would, would die too soon in life mm. and so forth. Season one. Uh, season one, indeed. Uh, but ultimately, the two men clink glasses as Riker steps away we head back to the titan of the present day and the ship is stopped it's all red alert uh shaw indeed has his uh his his folks looking out the the back window there including pete 
I know the guy has a, a, an ensign rank and like a last name. I'd like to call him Mr. Mystery, you know, the guy that we had noted in the first episode. Uh, hey, there's a weird ensign guy kind of eyeing things. It's Mr. Mystery. Uh, and we have uh, engineering estimating two hours until a fix. Pete, can you tell me what does that actually mean using the Scotty conversion uh, method? It's a factor of four, right? So it's a half hour. There you go. Um, but of course, we are told uh, by the science station that nebula is surging again. There's, there's, there's energy stuff. There's biological stuff. Um, something that they're going to mention a number of times. But spoiler alert, not really resolved this episode. So maybe we get more of it in the future. Shaw says, that's fun. And asks if anyone else wants to throw any more weird stuff at him. After a 36-hour watch, he gives LaForge, Mura, and Esmar a break. Ave Verum Corpus plays, and a replica of the USS Voyager sits in seven of nine's quarters as she slams down the item she's tinkering with when her door chimes. It's LaForge checking on her so she can recap she's been charged with insubordination and confined to quarters but seven still thanks her for checking in laforge reminds us her father is one of the greatest starfleet engineers ever and explains people were fine with her following his footsteps but the moment she decided to be a pilot people didn't think she belonged either she and her father both have a hard time making friends, but they know their value. Seven graciously tells LaForge to go rest, and LaForge calls her Commander Seven. Dear. In sick bay, Beverly is helping out, and Dr. Oak is not happy about it. Uh, Oak is called away, and Beverly continues to uh, minister some help here. And Rogue who Doctor. What's that? Rogue doctor. It, rogue doctor. Rogue doctoring in the future, um, which also, I guess, weirdly is also of the day as well. But I digress. Who walks through the door uh, but Riker and Picard? Uh, Riker says to Jack, maybe we should take a walk. But Jack's not going anywhere. He shall not, uh, shall not go for a walk until he is okay with going for a little walk with Riker there. Pete, the staging that comes next, mm -hmm. Picard and Beverly opposite sides of the widescreen you see pete that is to show that there is a wide emotional distance between them the physical the emotional all in one who is directing this episode making such fabulous choices why it's Riker himself jonathan frakes pete that's how you direct long silence gives way to beverly explaining two months before she left the enterprise not on the tv show they were on shore leave to the waterfalls of Casperia Prime. Picard was called back early, like it always was with them. He didn't know he wouldn't see her again, wondering for years what he had done. Beverly said they ended their relationship, but Picard corrects her that it was their romantic relationship and for the fifth time beverly admits she became pregnant that night and wanted to tell him but he was kidnapped for nine days and then 
two assassination attempts followed, and that was when she realized it would be like that forever. Picard asks her why she didn't think uh, if she told him he'd have chosen to leave Starfleet. And she says he loves when the galaxy calls on him and he would never have walked away. Part of what makes this scene so remarkable is, you know, we understand that Patrick Stewart in his 80s, perhaps a bit less powerful than he was in the past, but nonetheless an acting legend, all this experience, all this on-screen charisma and so forth. But Gates McFadden is able to go toe-to-toe with him. Uh, again, not an amazingly surprising thing. She's no you know, new ingenue either, but here she is a force in her own right. And this scene is a reminder of what could have been had she been given better stuff back in the days of Next Generation, um, because she's got it. They're able to go toe-to-toe equally here. I would even argue in a scene that is deftly written, I mean, at its base, it's a woman talking about her perspective on getting pregnant and exiting this relationship, kind of very... (laughs) Things to which she, as the female in the relationship, would have more agency, experience, insight, and so forth. Uh, And the fact that it's written to not take her agency away, but nonetheless give Picard um, near emotional footing, I would argue, in terms of his contribution. I don't mean in the biological sense, but his contribution emotionally in terms of you could have given me this update. I do. You know, I did have some ownership over the relationship and so forth, again, for it to be performed as and written as a 50-50 scene in a context in which it's not necessarily um, basically equal, not necessarily basically equal, just an amazing, an amazing scene to witness. The only thing that snaps you from this scene is that we're asked to believe that Jack Crusher, an actor here uh, playing him in his 20s, I mean, really? Yeah. And I mean, we had debated this last week. Um, Okay. My stance that a better place to have uh, a better chronological place to have had this pregnancy occur would have been during, during or around season two of TNG when she wasn't there, could explain her absence and not knowing about the baby and so forth. I will grant you emotionally, this is a better spot in terms of the romance bloomed in the seasons of the show that we never saw, you know, in the movie era or beyond. I will grant you that makes sense. It gives us the ability for her to just disappear and then reappear at the beginning of the show. Right. Like, it's a, ultimately, it's a weird casting choice. Back when, you know, she took a year off the show and then comes back and never tells Wesley before he disappears into the cosmos that he's got a half-brother that, you know, you're captain foster father fathered you know like that's a betrayal of everything that came before ultimately you know it is what it is i I don't think that we are you know you and i are not literally grumbling over this decision we've had our moment of grumble to say here's why i think it's a wacky contrast so acknowledged you know moving forward and so forth yeah because there's no 20 something actors that could have possibly fit this bill here i know you like ed spielers and all but like I do know this. Beverly notes that she's lost her husband and her son to the stars uh, and worried that uh, Jean-Luc would be taken by the stars as well. 
just another fabulous line here again in a very very strong scene and using his confidence in her i mean clearly he was the closest with her um and to recap the stuff about his father largely uh present in season two i mean listen we knew that he had differences with his father before that um but to get that full-on presented in season two and now to follow up with that here organically makes sense um she thought she could protect her son but not his son okay so it, it is believable the, the the least part like we said is is the age of the actor they chose which is a minor quibble in the grand schemes as picard paces outside Riker chuckles after spending two decades watching him get cooked up the resemblance to his dad which jack refuses to call him also interesting to Riker. Riker says the Picard is one of the finest men he's ever known, but Jack is skeptical. Riker admits they're all human, but Jack has heard his father is a positronic. Uh, I mean, fine, yes, acknowledging the events of the first season. Um, also, first season that told us, and nothing will ever change now, like in terms of like, he doesn't have a super robot port. He's just going to be the same guy he was. Um, equally noted is, you know, again, this legendary status of Jean-Luc Picard. Jack finds legends faulty up close. Uh, they kind of temper their conversation as staffers walk by. Uh, and Jack is reminded that he is the reason all of their lives are at stake. Uh, and Riker suggests that Jack needs to give them a reason to feel good about it all, good about this risk. Jack reflects on uh, his mother talking about the past, about all of them. She used to tell the tales of old, and then she'd get sad and stop. Uh, and Riker shares a bit about his family. He has a wife and a daughter. He had a son uh, once as well, uh, obviously Thaddeus having passed away. So it was around this point where I said, oh, we're developing kind of parallel parallel paths here in life uh in riker's past and picard's kind of present slash future as the titan moves through the nebula picard asks beverly what she knows about the shrike which is nothing she and jack helped people on worlds starfleet had forgotten they had trouble now and then but never like this and he asks her why she told him not to trust anyone and she recaps the abduction attempts first at the hands of Fenris Rangers, then Klingons, then Starfleet. Everywhere they go, someone turns on them. And he is the only one she can trust. He asks why they want Jack, but she doesn't think it has anything to do with him, but rather with Picard. But he doesn't know anything about Vatic. Neither do they, but Beverly points out it's not a bounty hunter ship. It's a warship with Picard-sized enemies behind it. Cue the really well-lit energy surge on sickbay there that reminds him he must get back to the bridge. And also a reminder that, again, the show has made the weird decision to 
underlight all these sets. Um, either Dave Blass or one of the other production uh, people shared in the last couple of days kind of the full view of the transporter room. Uh, Dave Blass had said, you know, hopefully it doesn't look like a brand new thing. Hopefully it looks like an evolution from the Enterprise D's transporter room. And it was like, wow, it really does when you can see the whole thing. Uh, including when it is lit well. Same thing here with the sick bay. It's a resplendent set that for the briefest of moments, you get to see completely when there's an energy surge that doesn't light things in excess, just lights them enough. Um, I just continue to be boggled that week after week we are underlighting these sets. I don't get it. Maybe this, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But, but Pete, here's what I do get. The concept of a joke in a script because they talk about Jack's accent Beverly says he went to school in London. Pete, that in story truth, maybe the accent is in his DNA. All right, everybody, Twitter people who are giving, you know, all these people from Terry Madeless on down a whole ration of junk, uh, including Pete, the major error allegedly that there was in the subtitling that somehow revealed who the baddies were, which I watched with subtitles and I didn't get it ruined for me. But regardless, the DNA accent thing, that's a joke. It's just a joke, everybody. Take a deep breath, count to five. It's just a joke. We all know you don't get accents from DNA. Let's bring it back to the heart, Pete. Beverly had encouraged Jack to meet with Picard, but it was Jack who said no. That's your standard. We're one-third through a season. Uh, emotional conflict kind of stuff. Uh, so Picard asks Riker to walk with him, and uh, Riker asks what Beverly said, but Picard says it's immaterial as their survival is the only thing that matters. Riker urges Picard to talk to Jack so that he doesn't regret it in the event of a loss like he suffered. Picard says it's irreparable and that he owes Captain Shaw an apology. In the viewing hall, uh, a crew member sees the strike coming out of the nebulosity of this nebula, of this actually nebula, uh, Vatic is told uh, that the ship, that the Titan is right where it should be, uh, which is our first clue. I, I realize now that was a line that kind of stuck with me and I didn't quite get why it stuck with me when I was first watching. That's because they know they're tracing the breadcrumbs and so forth. Um, the Shrike fires uh, at the at the bridge, at the, at the ship, and the crew goes flying uh, on the bridge, Shaw suffering a head wound kudos to the production here like we see him hit hard we see the blood we see more blood it's not in excess but i think like it's completely the right amount to sell the fact that the captain must take a uh you know uh concussion protocol timeout here bone oh. visible in his right leg um <laughs> i didn't catch that maybe it was mildly underlit i don't know uh or maybe i just need to rewatch re again that thing i just said that was a joke um maybe i just need to catch it again um Love the duality here, Pete. It's as the kids say, game respecting game here, game recognizing game. Shaw blames Riker for all of this, then transfers command to Riker, the most experienced captain present, um, as Captain Pro Tem um, Picard uh, hops in to take the helm and uh, uses a sweet torpedo action, fire the torpedo, then phaser it in order to do a concussion blast towards the strike. Um, just a really, uh, really great moment. The piece de resistance, 
uh, since Picard is now assuming the side seat there, maybe he should be called number one. On Metallus Prime, the news says Starfleet Intelligence has confirmed Romulan dissident Larak Toluco is to blame for the attack on the recruitment center that killed 117. Rafi awakes and shuts it off before hearing distant music on La Serena and grabbing her phaser. Worf practices with his sword while listening to the same operatic music Picard did in First Contact as Rafi sneaks up on him and he throws a dagger and disarm her. He introduces himself as son of Moog, house of Mortok, son of Sergei, house of Rojenko, bane of the Duras family, and slayer of Gowron. Rafi acknowledges the legend Picard would talk about all the time. He's just like she expected, and also not. And he has learned of late to access calm. So he has been, as humans say, working on himself. They flash back all the way to um, last week, where he's the handler. He saved her. He did the head choppy choppy and so forth. Um, I will say, Pete, it must be interesting to write for a show that you know is weekly, but once it's weekly, it then is forever bingeable. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's last week's show only now, or it's it's last week's show only as of Wednesday night, Thursday morning. It's the episode that you can watch right before you watch this episode. Um, which I guess is to say, I'm giving a slight finger wag that they're like really, really reminding us that he was the helper last week, but also, okay, I get it. There might be people who don't remember that he was the thing last week. Fine. Regardless, he's he says he's kind of, you know, he's not quite Starfleet. He's kind of like a subcontractor. Um, there is something coming out there, an attack. He agrees with her assessment that the Institute uh, was only the first step in this larger Pete, I guess we can't really call it a conspiracy anymore since it's not like the bug conspiracy. From or TNG. can we? Um, I, how about a, we need another word for a conspiracy. The, the secret aligned group attack. Um, with that, Rafi starts, she, she's getting the shakes a little bit. She, she needs some of those drugs, maybe. Uh, he sees her fighting that. He notes that she has the heart of a warrior. Uh, and the instincts um, to indeed see that something big is coming. Um, but with that, he's ready to say goodbye in the end. Um, but she's not ready to be thrown aside. Um, the The notion that the baddie is Titus Rika and uh, Raffi and Worf are going to work to track him down. Then find out who stole the weapons and just hashtag stop all the baddies. Cool. On Titan... Uh, Picard says Vatic should be as blind as them and give them a tactical advantage. Riker says they should continue to evade until Warp is back, setting up this difference of opinion that will carry through the rest of the episode. The Force says engineering estimates 20 minutes. Riker doubles down on defense, but is open to Picard's input. Riker has LaForge by them time as a trail of blood leads to sick bay where beverly helps a female crew member in jack helps another 
Uh, Dr. Oak has Shaw in distress, and Beverly asks what she can do to help. And Oak wants her to help the others, but they're stable, and Beverly doesn't like what she's seeing. She asks Shaw if he's having trouble breathing. She pushes on his abdomen uh, to suspect internal bleeding, but Oak totally ran a scan. Beverly says, because only the old doctor knows, you know, with your newfangled tricks, that the scan doesn't always pick that up. Pete, you can't always just wave a light, okay? Sometimes you need to have the knowledge. Uh, Jack is uh, uh, asked to hold Shaw, and Shaw asks how the strike keeps finding them. He asks it twice, uh, and Jack looks at the blood. Nay, Pete, the trail of blood that you mentioned, and he starts to think. On the bridge, there are those electrical and biological signs again, those signals. It's, this is not a nebula. It's an unknown anomaly that they really shouldn't go through. Uh, logically, says the science officer of Vulcan Persuasion, they should not go deeper. Uh, Riker turns around, and engineering needs to be ready to go exactly when they exit. That is your new repair time frame. Uh, you have exactly as long as it takes for us to exit. Um, and Jack appro uh, approaches the bridge turbo lift, but is turned around. Pete, I hope that one day in the world of Star Trek, they have like free voice-to-voice -voice communications where he can just say, <laughs> bridge, this is Jack Crusher. I've determined how we're being tracked. But instead, Pete... Ah, uh, just it's not happening. Or maybe if he maybe if there were if he said to the security guard, but I have a way to have us stop being tracked. But instead, uh, Pete, this scene is over. Take us to another one. The Titan turns and LaForge says they're moments away from exiting the nebula and warp is ready. Riker has her set course for the nearest star base. The Shrike follows and Vatic activates the portal device ahead of the Titan, bringing them back into the nebula and in front of them. Riker orders LaForge to go, and the Shrike pulls them back again. Picard tells Riker it's time to fight, but Riker orders a retreat into the nebula. And Picard shakes his head at that. Uh, on Metallus Prime, uh, it's party time, you know, in their party quadrant. Rafi is on the trail again. She radios in with Worf. Uh, he was supposed to stay back. Uh, instead, he's watching from a bit afar. He says that her hood is conspicuous. Uh, she says that him standing there in Klingon garb uh, is the thing that's actually conspicuous. Uh, I'd like to argue, Pete, I mean, look, I... The show is gleefully having its cake and eating it, too, and I really don't have a complaint. I would just like to propose that in the tough drug and sexy time quadrant here on Metallus Prime, I'd like to argue that the guy who's dressed, the guy who is the space biker who looks like he's trouble, people will notice as, look, he's trouble in the place where people come to get into trouble and have a good time having trouble. So I would like to back up Worf on this. Maybe it's the hoodies that are conspicuous after all. I don't think the hoodies are conspicuous either, though. Everybody there, like, either you're, you're proud about being there in the underworld or you're trying to hide your identity in the underworld because you're going to the underworld. I think both work. Um, great banter here. Th this is the buddy cop show we need, okay? Uh, Worf and Rafi 
later, uh, you know, uh, good cop, bad cop, uh, looking for Titus Ricca here. Um, his outfit, he notes, is casual, and she wonders aloud if he would wear it to a Tuesday beheading. Uh, he notes that he's glad she feels better, but she says she just brings it when the moment calls. And the moment is calling now when Ricca runs behind her. He tells Raffaella they have been discovered and that Ricca's getting away. And uh, she loses him only to have Worf body him into a table because beheadings are on Wednesdays. Back to the Titan, we see uh, running, space running, and action as the Titan takes fire. LaForge simply cannot shake the Shrike uh, in Seven's quarters. Uh, she still is there. Uh, the door chimes. She answers the door. It's Jack. Uh, he says that she was a Fenris Ranger, right? Somebody's running blood in the water. It's the oldest trick, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. So what are they uh, leaving? Um... Apparently, top of the list would be uh, Viridium, uh, that, that warp coil insulation. Is that what they're leaking? Maybe they are. Uh, Seven would like to go for a walk, but the guard says no. Jack's fists say yes, however. <laughs> pow, pow. Um, and we get a great shot of the crew in the hall. Pete, it's what the stunties call a lateral wire pull. That's what you do to pull a whole bunch of people you know, laterally with a wire. It's not a complex name, okay? But hooray, stunties, because it looks great it's not just the standard shake the camera and bobble all around real people get pulled to a real wall uh thumbs up there pete take us to the room where you know what there is a mask mandate in engineering seven notes the poison gas is deadly and they put on respirators seven sees someone deactivated the atmospheric diagnostics so that the computer can't detect the bacterium leak uh, she opens a panel, and it looks like short-range phaser fire to Jack. Seven tells Riker they're leaking Viterium, and they've been sabotaged. Taveen notes they're getting too close to the center of the not-nebula nebula, and there's a strong, sizable inner gravitational well. Picard says they can use the sabotage as a diversion to set a trap and come up behind the Shrike. But Riker says it makes tactical sense. Uh, but Picard said himself, they can no longer risk the lives of the crew. As soon as the leak is fixed, they'll make a run for it. Riker orders engineering to prepare for warp and says Picard is compromised with his son on board and he's taking the ship and her crew home. As Jack works, uh, the male crew member who was looking out of the back, that's your aforementioned Mr. Mystery, um, knocks his mask off. And when he punches him, uh, Jack does Mr. Mystery's face rearranges itself. Seven radios, she stopped the leak and is coming back. And the saboteur locks a gasping Jack up and leaves. Jack has a case of the vapors. Back to Rafi and uh, Worf. Uh, they're captured 
Uh, Baddie is looking like he's in bad shape. Rafi is ready to pull off his fingernails. Uh, Worf notes that indeed his fingernails can be kept. Pete, you said it before. This is your this is your buddy cop situation. Rafi, the bad cop. Worf, the good cop. Um, Worf knows that the 117 uh, dead. You know that's at your uh, Starfleet recruiting center. They're not uh, this guy's fault. Titus Ricca, yeah, not not guilty for these things, says Worf. Um, and just for the record, Worf won't be shoving a sword up someone's. You know what? Because he's not going to do that because he's the good cop. Uh, Worf says that he was once irrational and violent, but there is no righteous cause. Anger is the enemy. We are all the same. The man doesn't reply. And uh, Rafi offers him some sweet, sweet drugs. If you want a hit, you'll have to talk. Yeah, in addition to feeling her chamomile tea coming back up, something that has nothing to do with her possible withdrawal, um, and they need to get this info. Back on the Titan, Jack gasps and sees a vision of Seven telling him to connect the branches with a crazy vine growing behind her. Um, in actuality, Seven uh, saves him and tells Picard he's taking Jack to sickbay. Riker tells Picard to go, and uh, Beverly and Oak move to counteract the rutirium gas exposure as Jack is fading. Picard takes the long ride to sickbay. There's your 17 seconds and arrives as Jack is flatlining. Beverly shocks him repeatedly, but manages to bring him back. Indeed, just as the music crescendos, Jack is back, baby. Uh, we go back to Rafi, who is continuing to bad cop it. Who did the break-in uh, at Daystrom? Who was it done with? Um why are we blaming the Romulans? Was all of this to keep Starfleet spinning? The big question now. So what was actually stolen from Daystrom was the tunneling technology uh, itself, a ruse to cover up the real theft. Uh, they notice after we do that the man's voice is starting to change. Uh, it's not withdrawal. Worf at this point knows what it's like what this guy's going through because Worf has a friend who's been apart from the great link to on Pete. If only we could have had Rene Abergenois, but alas life and death, not making that possible. Picard returns to the bridge with Jack stable and says they can't run any longer. They must engage and protect. Riker is protecting by avoiding. Picard says he understands Riker's instinct to be fearful of loss, and Riker tells him he is out of line. The crew reacts. Sit down, Admiral. Riker is the captain now. Look at look at me. I'm the captain now. Murrah uh, thought he detected the Shrike, and it is close before we go back to Worf explaining that Ricca was trying to get them to kill him before he gave himself away as his partner mistook his need to regenerate in liquid form as withdrawal. 
Ricka tells them it's too late for the solids as their worlds are on the brink of destruction soon and the changeling liquefies and Worf phasers it into ash. Jack uh, also is ready to share information. He fought a shapeshifter. There is indeed a changeling threat. So again, Pete, I was big in on the uh, parasite conspiracy. And as you said, maybe that still is in play. I suspect maybe not, but fair is fair. The show has made it very clear in subsequent scenes, changeling threat to the Federation, to the quadrants and so forth. Um, we cut back to Worf talking about those changelings. Uh, indeed, as Mr. Mystery uh, sets a bomb on a coolant juncture on the Titan. Pete, this is your this is your really standard. I know we're not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. used to do <laughs> this all the time. <laughs> the cross cut, okay. The script says, classic Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cross cut. Indeed, intercut, VO, with changeling buddy setting bomb on coolant juncture. Juncture. Worf was told by that friend of a rogue group. Pete, I'll just mention, there's some, um, the reason that, the reason that Tom Paris in Voyager isn't Nick Locarno is because there's some writing thing that when you use a, somebody else's character than the somebody else whoever wrote the original Nick Locarno Starfleet Academy TNG script would get like $400 per episode that the character was. So that was a reason to not use that character again in Voyager. I wonder if here too, if Worf isn't saying Odo because like, Whoever it is, probably Berman and Pillar, but whoever it is who made the Odo character would then have to be dealt in for money. I don't know. I just mentioned that I as a... I think that's the case. And though we talked about Discovery, you know, being given its final run here, that Paramount is trying to save dollars. I, I don't think mentioning a character is a, you know, over-the-top expense. I would agree. I was just, as he was not saying Odo, I was reminded of the, of the I whole. I think it's more powerful to not use the name because we know who it is. Okay. Right in the heart, Pete, in the heart. Um, but indeed, that friend has spoken of a rogue group uh, that has been silent, a uh, rogue group of changelings. It is implied that their goal is to restart the Dominion War. Pete, kind of like a second, I don't know. A, a second uh, civil war, dominion war kind of thing. Where do they get this stuff from? Uh, they want to attack again. Starfleet is the target. But what is the real weapon? Again, that's hammered home. There is a real weapon out there. Uh, Worf says they need to head to uh, the Daystrom Institute, figure this stuff out. Uh, and he's not going alone because he and Rafi are now officially partners. Tavine tells Riker the leak is gone and the Shrike's trail is cold. Riker orders LaForge to get ready to warp, and Seven tells him Jack thinks he was ambushed by a changeling before the explosive left by Mr. Mystery detonates. Warp energy drops to zero as they have lost a power conduit. Picard urges Riker to turn and fight, but Riker says they'll lose, and they're out of options. Uh, the Shrike is dead ahead, and they fire everything they have. Vatic opens a portal that swallows the four photon torpedoes, which reemerge behind the Titan, knocking the engines out. 
as the unresponsive Titan sinks towards the gravity well and the Shrike retreats. Riker tells Picard to remove himself from the bridge because he's killed them all. The crew looks up in shock as the Titan falls to end the episode. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Let's start by talking about the Shrike. We knew about the portal tech, but to have this overpowered vessel also have the ability to take who it's fighting and put them anywhere they want, and then to use uh, that on offensive weapons and have them punch themselves is a really awesome and fun development. It certainly is. I know that we had had it mentioned last week, like it's got some kind of, it's got some kind of weapon powers through the roof. We've never seen anything before. So that's your (laughs) emphasis on the gun in Chekhov's gun here. Uh, Also, you know, it kind of tracks in terms of this is the same technology that, we saw used on the Starfleet recruiting uh, building and so forth. Um, And of course we know that, but you know, who doesn't is the crew of the Titan. I don't remember the exact timeline. I must confess as to when did they go into the anomaly relative of this, you know, the, the, the attack that left 117 dead, but certainly I don't expect the Titan, like that's not the top of their list of things to worry about um, with (laughs) the last couple of days that they've had and so forth. So it's just, it all works really, really nicely. Pete, as does the idea of rebel changelings. Okay, I, you know, again, I, I stand by the potential of the, the, the slug bugs and so forth. But shape shifting changelings always welcome in Star Trek. And that let's look at it the way that the story so far explains it. That there was a schism in the Great Link that. Uh, Odo contacted Worf that Worf couldn't alert the Federation because to have that knowledge would have risked an all-out war again with the Dominion. Uh, So everything checks here. And it also doesn't prevent, as we will discuss in our theory segment next, that there couldn't be uh, some kind of unholy axis of bad guys and i would just add the notion of you know the notion of uh odo tipping off Worf. i mean we are i think primarily watching Worf in this show through the lens of his time on the next generation but let's not forget you know four years on deep space nine both in show chronology and uh in production chronology a good chunk of time too so of course Worf has his post Deep Space Nine connections, relationships, and so forth. So as you say, Pete, it does completely track. Let us set, Pete, our long-range sensors towards some theories. So let's start with where you left it off in the last segment here. Must I give up my larval slug baddies, or, or can they return in the remaining seven episodes? Well, huh. Um, 
Jack knew nothing about Vatic and the Shrike. And we're assuming, of course, that they are changelings, which we don't know. We know that Vatic has been referred to uh, by others, conceivably uh, changelings, right? That Benris Ranger who boarded for the inspection in episode two in the flashback, uh, the marked woman. Does that mean she's a changeling? It, it does not. Uh, and then Seven's uh, appearance in Jack's vision there under the sway of the bacterium gas that he connect the branches, connect the branches of, I don't know, uh, an intertwined conspiracy with those uh, uh, vines behind her appearing, you know, that the conspiracy bugs could be there, that uh, maybe the things that could have been stolen in addition to the portal device at Daystrom, uh, that being, of course, the distraction, like Lore or Moriarty. First and foremost, I love the possibility of having in the Star Trek The Next Generation final movie that we never got in that spirit of, you know, galactic threat, interquadrant threat, and so forth, that it could be multiple baddies. I think there's a lot to be done with there. Also, I would say, if it's going to turn out that Vatic and her bridge crew are all changelings, then why not constantly be in the gooey state? Well, if you did that, then it wouldn't be much of a mystery until the grand reveal and so forth. So I understand that from a narrative perspective, but if you want to tell me the slug bug people have teamed up with the changelings and that we might also bring in some of the great non, um, I mean, I know obviously lore and to a lesser sense, Moriarty are both solid and that they're not, you know, like Moriarty is not liquid. Um, but if you want to say, well, it, all the, that, you know, the changelings, the changelings are going to team up with other similarly, uh, non humanoid creatures, uh, solid though they may be, or, positronic based or or holograph based whatever that might be i mean we know lore is coming we know moriarty is coming kudos to you for having a theory that can encompass all of them i mean just trying to read the tea leaves right like it it doesn't mean oh just the changelings are the bad guys it, it could also flip that around like who can we turn to oh lore uh, moriarty like they, they could just as easily be some form of salvation um but this what what i think allows us to really kind of speculate here is this vision that jack hallucinates while he's uh being poisoned by the gas pete is what he is seeing the vines from um from the the otherworldly realms that we've seen in Stranger Things, has Paramount secretly <laughs> sold itself and or the Star Trek franchise to Netflix? And the reason that Discovery has been canceled is because we're going to do, I don't know, we're going to do Star Trek Max coming soon uh, as the two story universes collide? I can definitively tell you no. Um, the ash that we had... Uh, had pointed out to us previously about some of Vatic's thugs now makes sense in light of the changeling discovery. Um, but, you know, I, I think we need to further 
connect that there and again not knowing like all right is Batic a changeling who is marked because she had the virus that they had made to infect the founders and that is her revenge like we we still don't have the a to b to c and nor should we in episode three of you know a 10 episode run of why the villain is chasing jack who is related to picard let's do kind of some theory maintenance here i know terry madalus has spoken about some of the great cameos and appearances i personally would not qualify you know any any of the tng cast who has shown up or will show up i would not count as a surprise seeing as how that's let's see to my knowledge the first we saw of season three was the tng crew getting ready for one last ride right so um any and i mean obviously they've previewed moriarty and when i say tng crew i'm including brent spiner albeit as lore um any thoughts so far yes there's still seven episodes to go but approximately one third through this season any thoughts on you know who are some of those cameos or returning characters etc uh that we might get in the next seven well what if they're inside a cameo right now with both electrical and biological signatures an anomaly like starfleet has never encountered um i mean the only thing that comes to my mind for that is nagilum which would be a real deep cut what are you thinking the cisco huh i mean look you have avery brooks if let me state if because there's the i mean we've all we all love to see cisco but there's not a blessed you know definitive scrap here if you get avery brooks to say yes um that certainly is that w- that would be one way to do it i think that's a this way that uh, to, to use some of the lingo of the intelligence community that i feel like that's a great theory i have low confidence in its accuracy but i love the thought process uh, just because i don't think it's going to be an accurate outcome an accurate prediction doesn't mean that there's not a very real path to that being true. Well, if ever they needed a former Starfleet captain to intervene with an offshoot of the Dominion involved, that would make organic story sense. It does. And I'm reminded of uh, what I had said before about, you know, Worf's Deep Space Nine connection is is re uh, reinforced in this episode. If that's where we're headed, either in place or in other Deep Space Nine characters, we, as you're saying, Pete, we're now activating all of the kind of changeling Dominion War end of the Star Trek universe. So all the more reason to bring in some of those folks. Interesting. We talked about the time frame that uh, Beverly left the Enterprise and cut off everybody. Although she didn't really have a need to cut off everybody when it was just Picard. But I guess that's the explanation. So they didn't know I had a child. And who's the dad? Oh, my goodness. It's Captain now Admiral Picard. So, all right. But interestingly, she mentions one of the unseen adventures, uh, you know, we never got in which Picard's life was in danger took place in the Donatra sector. Donatra being the name of the Romulan commander who assisted 
the Enterprise in the events of Star Trek Nemesis, the last film voyage. Oh, that's a fun, that's a fun connection there, as is, uh, I mean, I guess the possibility of exploring that post-Nemesis place on the timeline. I must confess, Pete, there's, there almost certainly have to be novels and comics that explore that. That said, I don't feel like any of them has necessarily had the crossover of some of their Star Wars novel and comic counterparts. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, like, I won't be downright crass and say they're just mentioning this so they can see 3PO Red Arm some new stuff. Um, it would be interesting, however, whether these specific adventures that are referenced here get fleshed out in uh you know published form or or something like that it would be interesting to see at some point uh Worf goes out of his way to say that it is not Raffi's time to join the dead should that worry us for later this season um i'm not a massive fan of the Raffi character it's not to say i have any problem uh, with michelle hurd i just feel like let me put it this way. I was surprised that as as there was the almost wholesale clearing out of Picard uh, cast members season one and two in preparation for season three, uh, th- the fact that the fact that that threat passed over Rafi uh, surprised me a bit. That said, she's being used super effectively here. I think it's extremely believable that she would um, kind of you know slide into gray intelligence work given her background with substance abuse and so forth and if that's if that's kind of your quick you know it's not like we got an intelligence report that such and such let's a plot warp over to there if they're putting in the work in a b plot where she's doing the investigation that brings Worf in they're doing the investigation and frankly it gives you something to cut back and forth from that's wonderful i guess i kind of am of the assumption until i see otherwise and now you have me watching out for you know is there a death watch for rafi but i guess i had assumed otherwise you know, watch Shaw, watch Seven, watch Rafi, watch Jack Crusher. They are the potential for a Titan spinoff, whether they are making this episode, maybe whether they're making this season with the knowledge that there's a secret, um, a secret pilot or something for Titan, or whether it's just like, hey, we'll try and leave parts there the way they did for, you know, Discovery season two, and that turned into a new show. Um, but I would assume that that four is your core four until I hear otherwise. Uh, and maybe Worf has heard it first. Really out of character moment for Riker to tell Picard to remove himself from the bridge that he's killed them all. And yes, it's not as if they didn't lay the tracks for that. Picard wants to go on offense. Riker wants to go on defense. He's assumed command of this vessel. Um, he's He's got to protect. But, you know, that it's so out of character, Matt, that, you know, my number one would never tell that to his former captain. Do we have to suspect that maybe Riker's been replaced by a changeling as well? Um, let me put it this way. I, I know there's a lot of people that are upset that, that the, that the oldest son would yell at dad like that. Um, I think perhaps here's my argument for why 
Oh, let me put it this way. Could Riker be a changeling? Absolutely. That'd be a fun twist. Um, it, as though there's some sort of uh, secret invasion which is occurring. That, that that could be interesting. Let me defend the scene as is. Let me defend the status quo as is. Um, Riker has had for himself, maybe not for us on screen, Riker has had an extremely successful captaincy of his own um like many captains he's lost some people along the way and i'm sure that that's been tough and it's never okay to lose even a single person but kind of the the overall score for Riker, i will imagine has been you know put a number out there for Riker as captain or Riker as commander and captain how many you know has it been a thousand two thousand how many people has he served with in a position where 99% have lived and in which the ship has almost always been brought home except for the Enterprise D and you know major damage to the Enterprise E but the Titan was okay and point being Riker has had this successful captaincy and now at this point in the story you know wink wink we understand they're not all going to die in the first five minutes and it'll be <laughs> the remaining episodes will all be you know 55 minutes of black um, but presumably now total loss of ship total loss of crew all because from Riker's perspective the out of touch admiral who has a playbook that doesn't work anymore and who doesn't have the experience of being a captain and really dealing with these things um and I would say Pete as much as I love uh Jean-Luc Picard you know a guy who's lost two and a half ships in his career um now it's all lost and if the captain's number one job is protect the crew and the number two job is protect the ship it's picard who's pushed Riker against Riker's own uh best instincts and now it's all lost i think in that moment to sit and look in the proverbial mirror and for Riker to say 400 people are dead because i listened to the wrong advice but i Riker, did it i think any one of us would break any bonds of friendship of family of trust and so forth when you realize 400 people are going to die because of you with that let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir with that pete we go to the twitter poll where you know speaking of uh is it a nebula or an anomaly something uh of an anomaly nature happened with this poll okay um not surprising but somewhat surprising so here we go pete the low end uh the poopy emoji merd uh, got zero percent uh two meh emojis come see come saw also got zero percent pete i'm not saying that this deserves a one out of four or a two out of four but rarely do we run a poll and i'm not saying that we get millions of votes on these polls either but surely there's someone out there always searching for hashtag star trek or hashtag Star Trek Picard, or whatever, that are like, ah, poll, I hate Star Trek, because it shows, uh, you know, all sorts of people doing all sorts of things, they work together. I'm going to vote low. Nobody voted on the low half here. Um, three, thrum, three thumbs up, Trebien got 20.7%, and then four star-eyed emojis, and Cryabla got 79.3%. So again, everybody voting in the three or four spot there. I think, again, you know, the season's been so well-received, still a lot of story to unfurl and uh, to see where it all heads. Uh, some replies here on Twitter. First one up, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. 303 was another great continuation of this season's story. That scene between Picard and Beverly, I took both sides. Each had a valid argument for why they were right. 
Raphael's scenes with the Slayer of Gowron, they make a great team. More, please. Commander Seven has a friend in Ensign LaForge. That's nice. Okay, so it's Changelings. I'm not ready to take conspiracy bugs completely off the table yet, but I'm also not fully invested in the Rebel Founders as Big Bad Villains angle. Not having seen the next three episodes, like some have, is both a blessing and a curse. Let's just say if there ends up being no conspiracy bugs, someone missed a great opportunity to, sell this, to tell the same story with a forgotten TNG uh, enemy. Worf uh, will need an engineer very familiar with detecting changelings. And who better to call upon than our favorite Irish chief of, chief of operations? <laughs> Good prediction there. Speaking of changelings, I'm now thinking that Riker might be an imposter. The way he kicked Picard off the bridge was very out of character for Will. I think Picard met the real Riker in 301, but he was probably replaced sometime during 303. And now he has control of the Titan without an admiral on the bridge. And remember, folks, uh, Fantastic Geek Star Trek podcast is on sa- Sundays. Beheadings are on Wednesdays. <laughs> uh, fine print. We have no connection with beheadings. Uh, James Sagacious had replied to all of this to say, I thought it made sense, um, This the Picard kickoff of the bridge, uh, because of the tension caused by Picard gaining a son while Riker lost his. Picard was dumb to insinuate that it was affecting Riker's reasoning. Uh, I think if nothing else, that's a great take on a really subtle... These are all subtle points, subtle character moments here uh, making their way in. At Snow Goggles chimes in. Great episode. Definitely understand the Cisco rumors now that we're seeing the DS9 storyline. Would be amazing to see him come back, but I'm going to guess it's just rumors. JT Adkins, JTA is me, says, I love how this series shifts in tone and pace week to week in rhythm with the story. What a joy. What a ride. That turbolift ride took a little more than 17 seconds, but who's counting? Oh, right, that's me, counting and loving every second. I also love the way Worf introduces himself to Rafi, a lot of history and all those titles he lists for himself. Next up here, uh, Ms. Myra, that's at Myra Carmel on Twitter. I don't even know what to say. I am shook. The Changelings, hashtag DS9. We need to see Cisco. Riker to Picard at the end. Can't wait to see how they're going to get out of this mess. With Beverly, her reasoning wasn't too off, and I'm glad Picard came back at her like he did. Uh, we hear again from James the Sagacious. Uh, continues to be a great ride. Chain of Command is just comic relief for me at this point. It, <laughs> it didn't set, sit well with me that Dr. Crusher found the internal bleeding and Dr. Trill couldn't, but Trek has never shied away from the notion that some people are way better at their jobs than others, especially doctors. Crazy theory. Uh, the sentient nebula may be related to the nebula from episode 108 of Strange New Worlds, the Elysian Kingdom. Could they all be trapped in an illusion? Um, Spider-Ham Lincoln says, you're right, that's a crazy theory. Um, uh, Pete, I think it's, it's, look, though we may be seeing in, in the cycles that Star Trek goes through, though we may be seeing the beginning of the collapse of current Star Trek in terms of Picard season three is going to be over next month, and that's it for Picard. And Discovery only has ten episodes left, and maybe they don't do a Titan spinoff, and maybe it's Strange New Worlds just for a second season or just for a third season. Could be all about to collapse in the next couple of years. But in the interim, how about we do some crisscross stuff there? I like the the idea there that maybe this is a familiar nebula from another series. I love keeping it, you know, close in terms of when that story hit with strange new worlds last year and you know almost a year later returning to it 
We are from at Gooner JCH. MVP goes to Rafi, Wharf Duo. Seven and her ador- adorable Voyager model gets an honorable mention. Conflicted about the other Titan plot lines this week, though. And if Riker's not a changeling, I think we'll do a backstory or flashback on his family's recent tragic loss. Um, uh, Ms. Myra chimes back in and says, I miss Renee, Miss Renee Abergenois. I think as, as do we all. And the final tweet today, Pete, comes from Aria Needs a Spinoff. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Okay, I have to say, I'm not sure I'm down with Beverly's reasoning. I mean, she's sort of right, but I have a hard time using that reading to keep a man from his son for decades. If Picard had known, maybe he would have changed his path. Maybe not. I was really hoping there would be a more out-of-the-box science fiction-y reason. Uh, But I still love the episode. The space battle looked amazing. Shaw isn't so bad after all. I think that's Pete because they're working on Captain Shaw of a Titan spinoff. River, uh, pardon me, not River. That's a completely other show, Pete. Riker kicking Picard off the bridge. So good. Nice to see more Worf and Rafi. But where uh, is everyone else? TNG is not my favorite Trek, but it's nice to see that the Dominion War hasn't been completely forgotten by Trek creators. And the Changeling goo, very gross, very cool, and such an improvement over the original. Looking forward to more. Pete, that from Arya needs a spinoff. Pete, what do we have over there on Facebook? Uh, Josefina Avalos, who had written into us last week on Facebook, uh, replied to our Star Trek Picard uh, episode 302 uh, post, said, OMG, thanks for reading my email. So excited to be all caught up, ready for this adventure. And then... There's a GIF of uh, your uh, little people movie that live in a grassland. Indeed, Pete. And hashtag it's all connected. Now I'll read the email from uh, Josephina regarding season three, episode three. So look at that. We That was not planned. That was just how that worked out. Uh, she says, hello again. It's Josephina with an F. Sorry, no PH in this name. Well done. Uh, we finally got the conversation about Jack Crusher this episode. Oh, my heartstrings. Picard missing out on being a father and Crusher protecting her child. If Picard had it his way and became a family man, TNG would have been a sitcom. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Crusher has lost so much with Starfleet. I can understand why she kept Jack a secret. The more I see Picard Jr., the more he resembles Picard season one, but with hair. Patrick Stewart has always looked old, even when he wasn't old. Maybe it's him being bald and what little hair he did have was already gray. Isn't 34-year-old Ed Spielers playing a 23-year-old? Probably unintentional, but I, I see what they did there. Pete, let me pause her email for a second to just say, I don't love that as an explanation, but that explanation does 100% address my concerns that, yes, Picard did look older than... Patrick Stewart has always looked old for his age, so if you're telling me that Patrick Stewart's on-screen kid also looks old for his age... That's logic I can't argue with. I I can't. I can't. We regularly accept, you know, people in their 30s on, you know, teenage shows. Uh, You know, Andrea Zucker, um, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is the Andrea Zucker line, uh, which takes actors uh, on their, uh, when they hit her age that she was playing, um you know a teenager at west beverly high and it's always a laugh back to uh josephina's words here so the weapon that vatic has is a portable stargate lol 
<laughs> Apparently so. Uh, Worf doing his warrior monk transition is hilarious. He reminds me of some of the Marines I served with. Some of our guys were hardcore, but in the barracks we'd catch them watching Veggie Tales. Worf is all badass and drinks chamomile tea while obviously watching Mean Girls. That's the spinoff we need. <laughs> this is the Worf commentary track for Mean Girls. Uh, and with that, I'll leave it's back to Josephine. I'll leave you with my last word featuring Worf's Mean Girls reference. Beheadings are on Wednesdays. Uh, Pete, that was a delightful email from Josephina. It was. Uh, last email here, Pete, comes from Stacy, uh, who says, Hi, Matt and Pete. So much tension this season. Although I'm disappointed in the soap opera-y aspect of Beverly's reason for hiding Jack from Jean-Luc rather than the sci-fi reason. I appreciated both sides of their argument. I get Beverly's fears, but I side with Jean-Luc because he was robbed of choice. The flashback scene with Riker and Picard felt very heavy-handed to me. I get why it was included, but I think it was unnecessary. I'm still worried about Rafi, but much less so now she's working with Worf. Their dynamic was amazing, and the humor he brings is perfection. Listing his pedigree, then offering chamomile tea, uh, and talking about working on himself, loved it. Oh, but then when he calls Rafi a warrior and tells her they'll work together to stop the next attack, that was cool, as Rafi says. Even on their mission, they're joking. Worf's casual warrior gear and beheadings are on Wednesdays. Uh, that scene where they're trying to revive Jack, phew, it went on so long I started to wonder if they were actually going to kill him in the third episode. Changelings, I did not see that coming at all. Loved the mention of Odo, although I think it would have been nicer if Worf had actually name-checked him. Absolutely loving the visuals, especially the not a nebula. That's what we need to call it now officially, Pete. Just the not the not a nebula. Um, I cannot imagine how they're going to get out of this, but I am looking forward to finding out. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. That from Stacy, aka Stingray, aka Trek Girl eighty eight on Twitter. I'm telling you that not a nebula, biological signature potential to be Cisco. I I I can't get around it. Now, Pete, let's head to a message left on our listener line. Uh, anybody can text or leave a voicemail at 732-707-1815. And, uh, Pete, now we're going to hear from Jackie Wolf. Hi, this is Jackie Wolf. I'm calling to give my thoughts on Picard, Episode 3, Season 3. So the thing that stands out for me the most this season so far is, first of all, how much I like it. Uh, second of all, the special effects is obviously where they're spending most of their budget. Um, the the ships showing them in space is just truly mind-blowing, absolutely just beautiful effects. They make my jaw drop every time. I'm thinking of this nebula, whether it's uh, biological or whatever it is, the, um, the twisty kind of turning motions of the Titan that this episode, as it tried to evade the strike, was kind of actually giving me Kelvinverse vibes, but I'm here for it. Um, I still can't get over the fact that Beverly named Picard son after her first husband. Come on, Bev, that's just weird. Um, I personally didn't really want Jack to be John Luke's son. I just kind of felt like we've already been down the secret son road with Kirk and the original series movies. The conversation between Beverly and John Luke even felt a little recycled to me. I kind of half expected her to say, like, you had your world, I had mine, I wanted him in mine. But I'm hopeful that the storyline will show us new angles on our well-known beloved characters. I feel like we're already getting that a little bit with Riker, actually, and kind of seeing how he advises John Luke to say what he needs to say while he has the chance. 
I really like seeing that side of Wrecker. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that I really, really like that Worf is getting some great character development and really epic one-liners. This is a character that once pointed a phaser at a view screen in TNG. Not the most well-developed character. So I just, I love that for him. And I'll say this as my final closing statement. I don't have any tattoos on my body, but I had the strangest urge to get one that says, Beheadings are on Wednesdays with a fat lift over the top. Thanks for all you do, guys. Pete, so wonderful to hear from Jackie there. And I certainly have to agree the the visual effects. Um, I mean, I guess they've been great in subsequent seasons, but they're really, really popping this season. They are. And, you know, the the combat we've been promised, the submarine like aspect to this, you know, you go back to Wrath of Khan, that's the the OG. Definitely these feelings and vibes from it. Really, really great stuff. And she also mentions there, we both got a chuckle. Uh, though she does not have tattoos, she's uh, intrigued to to think about getting one with a you know that says beheadings are on Wednesdays with a bat lift on top. I Pete, I guess that's probably like a, like a back piece, right? That would take up a lot of the, the shoulder blade area there. Big bat lift, big beheadings are on Wednesdays. Uh, Surely somebody's going to get that tattoo at some point, right? We've had Terry Matlas talk about this new sword that um, Worf has. Wonder if we'll be getting a name for it. It's definitely of a different shape and configuration. I, I'd go with that. Well, Pete, it does beg the question as we get ready to hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. I wonder if he has any wacky tattoos that he keeps uh, hidden most of the time. Uh, maybe he'll have to let us know in the future. But for now, we head to Admiral Fred. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 3. Great episode again. I also watched the Ready Room with Jonathan Frakes as a guest. Really cool discussion there. And not only cool, but also touching. Second theme was there about Worf. Worf is actually the character that is in most episodes of Star Trek because he was in The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and in Picard now, apart from several movies. In this episode, I found Worf a little bit overacted or formal, but on the other hand, I've suddenly realized he has always been like this. This is just Worf and the acting is perfect. It's really amazing how fit all these 70 plusers are and one 80 pluser. And that of the next generation main crew, they are all still there especially with a COVID period just behind us. Within the beginning, a lot of fatalities. The majority of those were people with all kinds of ailments and mainly overweight. But because they are quite fit people, they fortunately don't belong to that group. And another possibility is that one of them landed up with long COVID and not be able and having the energy to do all this. But it seems that, luckily, that all didn't happen. Great is the connection between Ruffy and Worf that is forming here. We can expect a lot of that. I'm really looking forward to that. 
What I also liked is the disagreement between Picard and Riker. And it actually didn't stop. It went on and on. And I think that makes drama, uh, as said in the ready room. It seems that Gene Roddenberry didn't like conflict. So that's why Will Wheaton and Jonathan Frakes were discussing this. And they said, well, this would make it better and more interesting. And I fully agree on that. Although it feels a little uncomfortable seeing Riker going against Picard. I hope after being in confinement the role of Seven of Nine will be bigger from now on. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete Fred mentioning uh, very accurately how Michael Dorn is the, the, the king of all Star Trek episodes in terms of the, the most episodes, uh, being in the most episodes. I know there was a clip online of him saying, yeah, I really only just realized in the last couple of years, Pete, I'd like to credit him being so humble. Is, this, is it really only like in the last five years that he realized that he did seven seasons of TNG and four seasons of Deep Space Nine, like, and like all his friends didn't do all that. All his Deep Space Nine friends weren't there. In T- anyhow, but I digress. I would just like to add, Pete, that don't forget that Michael Dorn is also the TNG uh, Star Trek movie king, and that he played a Worf in uh, Star Trek VI. So he's been in more Star Trek movies than the rest of the TNG cast. Um, and uh, and and there you go. Probably will never be surpassed, especially if we're gonna, you know, cancel series a lot uh, with a lot lower episode counts now than we used to. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. He's the one guy you and I in our adventures have never seen at a convention. Um, yes, asterisk. I think he would. There was a there was a New York Comic Con where there was a TNG something in the Empire Room. So that's you know seats two or three thousand people. It's not the big room at Madison Square Garden. I know you know that. That's for the listeners. Um, and this was the same. Uh the same session where there was the fake or real proposal between two fans that went bad and they went running out. But Michael Dorn was there, but we were kind of towards the back. So have we been in the same room as him? Yes. Have we seen him like up close within 15, 20 feet? No. Seems like such a humble dude. And, you know, his performance is exuding that to get all the gravitas of Worf and then to have this change that he's no longer the angry warrior and now has the wisdom as to when to deploy violence. You need to do nothing more than watch the first trailer when he showed up and the, the great comical moment of, you know, being on a transporter pad and telling Picard and Riker, you should know I'm a pacifist now and Riker, you know, uh, deadpanning, we're all dead. Like that this was going to be a new take, but a consistent take on the character. And, you know, we, we craved more last week after, you know, showing up and rescuing Rafi and just the one line, the same way, you know, when we get LaForge, uh, Jordy, that is, uh, you know, we'll satiate on that. Uh, Fred referenced, um, <laughs> The very real thing that for TNG, Gene Roddenberry prohibited conflict between Starfleet characters, um, which you can only imagine was a real pain in the old shuttle bay to write. My gosh, and, right? Like, yeah. 
like to always yeah i mean just even the basic yeah i i think even too since there would be no conflict i think that even though gene oversaw the naked now and where there was the hint of drunk picard and drunk beverly having sparks it was like well because gene says the characters don't change we now can't even pursue a relationship because then that every relationship has its ups and downs and downs are bad so hey whatever man such a driver of story why would you ever put a hand behind your back like that and then like you look at deep space nine which was you know uh berman will be the first one to say like oh gene was aware of some of the basics but there's also like the berman anecdote like there'd be times that the gene roddenberry bust in my office we'd like turn it around we'd blindfold it because we were doing something <laughs> you know this is after gene had passed away um but like th- think of the basic concept in deep space nine cisco cisco is taking over a bajoran station kira's not kira should be in charge right like there's your conflict right there same thing with voyager it's literally starfleet versus maquis except sometimes we need to work together except i don't really trust you because you were a terrorist on tuesday like it's baked into the next two shows in a really really authentic way heck even with enterprise um you know the whole notion of like well the vulcans are kind of kind of putting their finger on the scales against us um it's in all it's in you know it's in all the other shows after that so Sorry, Gene, you got a lot of things right. This one, maybe not so much. Want to take an opportunity, as always, to thank all of the people that go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Indeed, keeping us listener supported in these busy times. So, so appreciated. So thanks again to all who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. We could not do it without you. Pete, let's certainly keep the Star Trek conversation going. Uh, lots of theorizing and character reveals and so forth ahead of us. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,797 followers. Can't be wrong. Well, I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost. Do me in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, looking ahead to our schedule, we're going to talk Star Trek Discovery and some of the recent developments there. We'll talk about that on the Discovery feed tomorrow. Uh, and then certainly next Star Wars Saturday, back for The Mandalorian, Star Trek Sunday, back for Picard. All of that being simulcast on the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek Feed. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. The headings are on Wednesdays.